there's there's no shortage of lack of citations in the 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 curriculum and i think that would be safe to say based on a few of the articles that i've read that we do know where some of the curriculum came from uh (laughs) so there have been some pretty harsh and i would argue based on what i've seen from it and i'm by no means a forensic curriculum examiner um <laughs> that should be a job that would be cool. it should be a well there it might be in alberta now <laughs> nerd alert i just said that would be cool <laughs> um but it, th- there's there's been large swaths of the the social studies curriculum that appears to have been directly plagiarized from other sources which seems to be a very different approach than what you just described has historically happened where where the information was was synthesized and refined not just copy and pasted from from wikipedia um how does that how does that that sit with an, an academic like yourself uh not well um I, every term, when I meet my students, the very first class, we have a conversation about plagiarism. And I, you know, say to them, if you can Google and find it, I can Google and find it. So, you know, uh, this is not what is acceptable practice. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just this, this, if this is actually true and there's some evidence to suggest at least that more investigation is warranted right dr sarah eaton from university of calgary has done some analysis and published uh, and been interviewed about this um and you know there's some indications there for sure that that parts have been lifted from other sources um that to me is the biggest takeaway from that is that this is what happens when you hire people who don't have expertise in writing curriculum and in and expertise in uh, K to 12 education, that they don't know how to do it. They certainly don't know how to do it well. And so then they go to other sources because they figure, well, we'll just take this from here. It looks good to me. I don't know any different, so it fits with my worldview and with what I think is important. So, you know, uh, we'll just slide this in here. I'm not accusing anyone of doing that. It's just that that's sort of a logical um, It's one possible idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other things that happened immediately after the, the release of the the curriculum. I have heard it many times. Curriculum gets referred to as, as living documents. I don't think I've ever seen a curriculum quite so alive in that it literally changed before Albertan's eyes during the first couple of days. Is that something? And, and, and for those of you that are, that are listening or watching that aren't familiar, the, what I'm referring to is, and, and this is well documented, uh, after the curriculum document was released, somebody was going in through the back end and editing some of the, the more problematic and I would argue offensive components to, to try to, to soften it. A little bit. Um, I would argue that their their edits didn't particularly work, and I think that if if you're releasing a, a document that you're uh, as the minister of education calling a, the the best curriculum ever, I mean, it was like watching Donald Trump speak. Um, it's huge. Uh, if you're going to release that document and then go, oh, but don't look for a sec. We got to tweak a few. Right. Th- 
Look over there for a minute. Yeah. No, that was, that's scandalous to me. Um, That, and it, to me, it it sends a huge message that, that uh, somebody at Alberta Ed, who's in charge, uh, knows that they screwed up. Um, that when you release a document on Monday and you boast in front of a podium to all of Alberta that this is a world-class document that's going to be the best curriculum that Alberta's ever had, and then within 24 to 36 hours, you go in and change some of the content without telling anybody and without, to my knowledge anyway, documenting what the changes are. I mean, you could have used track changes. You could have done something, right, to say original text, edited text, Um, It was just almost by happenstance that people caught that they had either printed something off or taken a screenshot. I don't know how they found it, but when they went to look the next day, it was different. Um, It's scandalous for all kinds of reasons. Number, as you mentioned a moment ago, the, the, some of the edits, they actually don't change the whole content. I mean, the words are a little different, but it doesn't change the intent of the learning outcome. So, you, you know, the one that has been in the news a lot is a, uh, an, a learning outcome around um, that n- newcomers come to Alberta and they often have difficulty fitting in because they bring um, um, strange or I forget the exact word, but kind of weird religions or something like that. I don't know that they use the word weird, but it, the whole idea was that, you know, they bring stuff that's again, they bring a religion that is not the normal religion mm. of Alberta, right? So again, positioning people as opposite the norm. And, and then it was changed to that part was still there, but then it was like, and you know, this shouldn't really happen, but you know, so it didn't really change it that much. Yeah. Um, so, but why is that so scandalous? To me, if you put a document out and you say you want feedback and you provide a survey to provide feedback, uh, as a researcher, to take it from a researcher perspective, you can't then change the document and still use the same form and everything because now people are using two different versions of the curriculum to provide you with feedback. So you look at it on Monday and provide feedback and I look at it Wednesday, they're not the same. So our you know, the feedback that gets collected is, is not really that useful anymore. Hmm. I, I, I had to laugh when, when, when that section came out because my immediate reaction was, yeah, that probably is how first nations folks felt when everybody came to Canada. Um, so yeah. maybe, maybe they are teaching a little bit of first nations stuff after all. I know. Yeah. Um, but th- there were, there were other problematic pieces that I think really spoke to the fact that, it, it, it appears to me that it was very much a, a rushed document that was, was I mean, I, I, I do not have a, a degree. I have a bunch of diplomas, but I don't have a degree. And even I know that uh, you do more than one first draft. And I, I feel like if a professor of history had done more than one first draft, he would have been able to correctly place Frog Lake and Regina as not being in Alberta. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that is scandalous is that there are a number of errors, just flat out errors in the document, like in grade one, I think. So the one that you mentioned, right, about place Frog Lake on a map of Alberta. Um, Okay, Uh, not going to happen. 
but uh, there was one in grade one about um, point to uh, gravity on a globe. <laughs> How does that really work? Really hard one to get wrong, though. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess anywhere you on the globe. anywhere yeah. on the globe. But I mean, that one, I'm, I'm actually speechless about that one because I don't even know like how somebody thought about that and that said, this sounds like a good idea. Let me write it down. <laughs> um, yeah. So if there are, we've just identified two errors, right? Yeah. So if there are two errors, then there are certainly going to be more. Oh yeah. Like um, I'm not a history expert or anything like that. And I was able to like, when I, when I read the, the, the frog Lake Regina bit, I was like, Oh, I'm pretty sure Regina is not in Alberta. I'm not, not. A, I'm not a, a, an expert in geography at all, but I I'll own that one. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The frog Lake to, you know, Regina. Exactly. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, so that, I mean, that in itself raises red flags as well. So I think that it's, I mean, my, and the reason why I sort of wanted to go through this chunk first was because it, I think it demonstrates that if the argument was that, that the, the UCP were going to produce a, a quality curriculum, which is certainly how they've touted it um, and how we've, we've certainly seen certain media, I'll use the word hacks, uh, try to portray it Um it doesn't meet that standard by, by any, any, any reasonable, if, let me put it this way. If you had said to one of your students mm -hmm. in university, uh, so not a professor, just a, a student of what you teach. Um, if you had said to one of them, I'd like you to put together a draft document for curriculum. What mark would you give this? Oh, I wouldn't even mark it. I'd hand it back to the student and say, start over. Okay. And let's meet together to, you know, because if, if that's what a student of mine were to produce, then I have failed that student. Um, and I would say, okay, we need to meet and let's see where misunderstandings are, or, you know, where are the gaps sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just my students, I have great students, there's, they just would never produce something of this low quality. I mean, okay. it's just unbelievable now moving on from the actual uh structural like literal problems with the the document there's 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 some deeper philosophical issues that are also problematic with the document and you kind of alluded to them a little bit earlier when you were talking about the the age of appropriateness mm -hmm. of of the the subject matter to me the the foundationally what i what i believe about about learning and education and, and what i would want for for my kids is not just for them to be presented with knowledge um and i'm a i'm a big fan of of, of history i'm a big believer you know in the, in the maxim that if we don't learn from history we're bound to repeat it um which is particularly appropriate for this situation oddly um but uh 
the the learning from history in order to not repeat it comes from not just memorizing that this happened on this date. It comes from also understanding the implications of what happened on that date. Uh, and, and what I would want for my kids from a curriculum would be for them to be able to not just absorb knowledge, but be able to synthesize it and be able to, to apply it in, in problem solving uh, ways. Um, is, is that too lofty of a goal for the education system? Am I setting the bar too high? Definitely not. And that would be what you've just described would be the standard sort of internationally for uh, what we would want a social studies curriculum to look like. Of course, knowledge is important. No one is saying it isn't. But what is it that students can do with that knowledge? How do they make meaning from that knowledge? How do they take what they've learned and apply it in a new context? Those are all examples of how we know students have really understood something and, can, and have understood it in a deep and sophisticated way because they can take something that they've learned and when presented with a new situation, uh, they can say, oh, this applies or this doesn't apply and here's why. Um, I mean, that's exactly what we want. The stuff that we see in this curriculum, well, there's two things I would say. Number one, I mentioned a moment ago learning outcomes that you could, pre you could preface a learning outcome with students will be able to, and then you'd have a statement. So students will be able to explain the significance of um, uh, the Multiculturalism Act and how it's shaped Canadian society, something like that. It's a broad statement of learning that, um, that a teacher will use to plan various activities throughout a year to help students come to under, to be able to demonstrate learning of that outcome. Uh, it's not just one lesson, right? That you're not, students in grade four or five are not going to be able to explain the significance of the Multiculturalism Act on Canadian, shaping Canadian identity in one 30 minute lesson, right? It's going to take time, you know, and different kinds of experience for them to really come to understand that. If you look at the social studies draft that we have been presented with, you see almost no learning outcomes list written in that way. What you see is purely content that if, so I'm going to date myself here, but if I was to pull the O of the Funk and Wagnalls encyclopedia off my, the, my childhood shelf, I would find the Ottoman empire, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we see in this document. They're actually not expressed as learning outcomes. And again, there's a reason why, you need people who have knowledge about curriculum development to actually write these things because they actually know what learning outcomes are. The second thing that I would say is what we see in this curriculum document, the content uh, results in the kind of students who, when they get to university say, tell me what I need to know to get an A on the test, right? They just wanna know what is the stuff they have to memorize? What is the stuff they need to regurgitate back? And they're not interested in applying information into and that, that those are the kinds of assessments I give my students all the time, not the regurgitation kind. But I'm like, okay, we talked about the different ways to do to teach this or to teach that. So now imagine that you're a grade three teacher and you're paired up with another grade three teacher. 
plan uh, something that you would, you know, demonstrate that you know how to actually do, you know, use different pedagogical or teaching techniques to actually engage students in this content. I mean, that application is a much higher level uh, demonstrating a much higher level of understanding than the pure memorization regurgitation. And in fact, knowledge, there's a, there's a, an idea or um, I don't know if idea is the right word. There's a taxonomy or a sort of concept around different types of um, uh, learning outcomes and you know, the kinds of things that we want to help students to help students learn um, in more depth, you know, as they sort of engage with various types of content in the school year. Knowledge is at the very bottom of the types of learning that we would want for students because it it simply requires them to list, to remember, to um, to tell, to say, basically to memorize and sort of repeat it back application, analysis, evaluation, creation, those are all at the higher level of understanding. And that's where we want to push students toward. They need the knowledge, they need that base, of course, but you can teach the knowledge while teaching students to do that more complex thinking. You don't have to do, and this to me is one of the fundamental flaws of this curriculum. And I use the curriculum, I will you say scare quotes, because it's not it's not a good curriculum at all. Um, uh, it starts with the assumption that before students can do any kind of creative thinking at all or critical thinking, they, they have to amass this huge body of knowledge. Um, and that's just, it's not supported by research at all in social studies. One of the other criticisms that I've heard about the, the, the content is the, the sheer volume of it um, is incredibly prescriptive in regards to, in order for a teacher, I mean, I heard a, a comment um, earlier today that, that in order for a teacher to teach even just one of the outcomes that was listed would be the equivalent of uh, a university class. Uh, oh, yeah. I the, mean, there the are university volume. courses. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, no, go ahead. Um, there are university courses that wouldn't be as dense as some of what we see in this in this curriculum document. Um, and if you read that, read what's listed closely, you don't actually see any big concepts or ideas. There are a few, maybe rule of law, right? That's a concept, um, but a lot of it's just sort of topics. Um, and so, yeah, and there's so much of it. It's so heavy. I mean, grade two has kind of become the one grade that people are really looking at. And it's one that I looked at really closely in the first blog post that I put up about this curriculum when it, you know, was released to the public. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous what is expected. Number one, it's got no connect. The stuff that's in there has no connection to kids' lives at all. And, um, and teachers are just going to have to, you know, run through all the different stuff that's listed. And there's going to be no possibility for teachers just to take a breath and say, okay, why is this important, you know, to try and delve into the deeper understandings? Because it's just, remember this date, remember this person, remember this date, remember that person. 
And, and even what's listed isn't in grade two, isn't even connected to what, to each other. So there's no, there's often no connection between the topics within a grade, but there's also what's important in, in when you're planning, we refer to this as a curriculum developers would refer to this as a scope and a sequence, right? So how much, but also in what order? When you look at what students are expected to learn kindergarten, grade one, grade two, grade three, et cetera, it makes no sense from grade to grade. Like the, things just don't seem to be connected one thing to the other. So, I mean, ideally grade three should build on grade two, right? What's, and, and so on. Um, it's, it's just so, there's just so many problems with it. That uh, that's why I have said over and over again over the past 10 days that this is not something that can be fixed by some careful editing and adjusting. It, need, it needs to be thrown out and we need to start again because it is so fundamentally flawed. One of the one of the big things, and you talk a lot of the, about the sort of the memorization component and the fact that it's this fact. Remember this, this fact. Remember this. One of, the, and I know I, I may be dating myself a little bit here as well. I, I do have uh, an Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, Excellent. Not not Funkin' Wagnalls, but um, <laughs> there used to be a T-shirt. Look it up in your Funkin' Wagnalls. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Um, I would like to find that t I was just going to say, I should add that to my collection. Um, one of the things that I've heard is that there are different learning styles depending on the person. So some people, for example, learn better through auditory. Some people learn better through sensory tactile stuff. Some people do very, very well at memorization. I do not. Um, does this curriculum leave any real room to for teachers to be able to accommodate the different ways the different kids need to be taught things in order for them to actually be able to absorb the information. Mm -hmm. So I think it is uh, something that is important to say up front about learning styles is that is a quite a common um, idea that is circulating around educational circles. Um, including lots of teachers and it's very prominent. And it, so it doesn't surprise me that lots of people sort of think about it and talk about it and, and maybe use it. There's actually no real scientific evidence that different okay. learning styles exist. People do have preferences, right? They certainly have, may have preferences, but in terms of um, trying to test, you know, does somebody learn better in this way or that way, we don't really have evidence to demonstrate that that's the case, at least at this point. Um, and there's a whole history that I've only started to dig into a little bit, so I don't wanna go talk too much about that yet, but I'll just say there is a history that people could look into that um, the concept of learning styles actually has a basis in racism because it was used oh. to say this group of people can't do that kind of work sort of okay. thing. Now, uh, you know, that's something that I myself still have to do some more reading on. Um, uh, but that's not to say that people have certain preferences uh, about the way that they like to engage with content. Um, 
And so, and that, and every student is an individual and is an individual learner and teachers need to take that into account when they're teaching. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I guess my fear about relying too heavily on this idea of learning styles is that we could pigeonhole kids and say, mm -hmm. well, you only learn this way or you only learn that way. When in fact, I would want students to learn in a multiple ways, even the stuff they don't think they're good at. Well, let's try it, right? Let's see, maybe we can get better at it kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. so anyway, that aside, um, this curriculum, although the curriculum itself is not dictating how to teach, you know, it doesn't say make students memorize. Um, the fact of the way it's organized is going to put a lot of pressure, I think, on educators and students and their families or caregivers to memorize because it's just so laden with content. It's mostly topics. There's not really concepts, broader understandings, the, those connections, you know, between ideas. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there is a real danger uh, that the default will become read the textbook, answer questions, memorize, give a test. Um, and I don't know too many teachers who want to teach that way. They might feel a lot of pressure to do that because they will feel like they have to um, get through the curriculum uh, rather than really teach and engage students in the curriculum. Okay. With the, the emphasis on sort of the, the knowledge over the, the synthesizing the knowledge into to problem solving and, and larger ideas, do you have any concerns for how that's going to impact uh, kids' ability uh, and their development in regards to critical thinking? Oh, huge concerns. Because um, the kind of content that we see in this curriculum, uh, so there are three columns if in this curriculum document in every grade. One is knowledge, one, the second column is understanding, and the third column is skills and processes. And uh, usually what I have seen so far uh, is that there's not a ton of difference in this curriculum between the knowledge and the understanding columns. It's a, there's things are sort of repeated. They might be worded slightly differently, but they're pretty the same in the skills and pro and processes columns. That's where you would usually see. And these again would be sort of international standards for what you'd want to see in a social studies curriculum. It would be skills like learning how to analyze information learning how to detect fact from opinion, um, uh, detecting multiple perspectives, uh, and you know, trying to understand multiple perspectives, um, interpreting graphs and maps and using scale, right? So these would be broad categories of skills that teachers would then plan multiple activities over the course of the year to help students develop those skills. Instead, what you see in the skills and processes column in the draft document that was released last Monday is these are uh, little sort of classroom activities like draw a map or color. One of them is 
color an RCMP officer on a horse or something like that. Like these are not actually skills and processes as we understand them in social studies. They are lessons that a teacher might do. And in fact, I don't know many teachers that would do what's listed there because most of them are not that high quality. They're sort of low level learning, low level engagement. So because of that, there's very little opportunity in this curriculum as it is currently written for students to actually do the kind of critical thinking that is necessary to become critical thinkers, you know, uh, in their life, because they're not really asked uh, to detect bias from opinion. They're not really asked to, um, you know, analyze this or analyze that. Um, you don't see the word analyze a lot in the curriculum document so far. So, you, you know, there might be a couple of instances where um, there is something that kind of starts to look like a skill, you know, that could be developed, but by and large, it's, it's pretty, um, they're pretty absent. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, please consider signing up as a monthly supporter at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdowneb. And if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, please consider leaving us a review and a rating. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at at thebreakdowneb. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>